The following contains descriptions of physical violence, sexual violence, and graphic descriptions of autopsies. Hey listeners, welcome to episode 59 of TGIC Podcast. I'm Jillian. And I'm Izzy. So first of all, um, like we're really, 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 really sorry. Yeah, we're, it's, yeah, it's been a long time. A I, very long time. It actually, what has it been, like almost two months? God, no, I think it's only been like one month. I don't think a so. A month and a half? Was the beginning of September was our last episode. Oh god. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm really sorry. It's, um, there's been a lot happening. I'm trying to think. Let's, let's do a little recap of our lives. September 8th, I'm pretty sure was our last episode. I'm pretty sure I checked that. Oh, Since god. then, I've, um, been on vacation. I've applied to college. Um, I'm struggling through senior year. Yeah. Um, two and a half years into the pandemic, I got COVID for the first time. That was fucking embarrassing. Yeah. And, um, I had a play. God. Um, I also went on vacation. I did college applications and I'm not done with them yet. I uh, have been also suffering through senior year, which is not easier than junior year. I don't care who tells you. Fucking liars. Um, and yeah. We've been wanting to get an episode out to y'all, and we've been, like, really trying. It's just we literally not had time, and I'm so sorry for that. I'm Plus, sorry. this episode is, like, special, and we wanted to, like... We wanted to do it We right. wanted to release a good one, and... I've, I've been at school, after, like, after school every day until, like, 8.30 for she the past, has. like, two weeks. And I've been working and getting overwhelmed. Life is exhausting. Life is really exhausting right now, and I know other people are going through that because October is always pretty hard. But it's Halloween this weekend. That's like that actually is kind of exciting. Um, I'm excited. I need to work on my Halloween costume, but you know that's fun. Yeah, I have three this year. I'm gonna be Carrie, a fairy, and a minion. Cool. I'm still working on getting mine together, guys. Sorry, sorry to disappoint. I know you guys were just on the edge of your seats there. Yeah. Um. Anyway, we're here. Let's actually do an episode now. All right, so we're going to do another two-parter because we're annoying. Yeah, we're annoying, and it's fun. Um, yeah. But, you know, we really, we were really excited about this. We kind of wanted to return to our roots to, like, <laughs> redeem ourselves. So today we're going to actually recover the, or start recovering the John Bonet case because we were reflecting. Mm-hmm. And we were like, our first, our first episodes kind of suck. Yeah, they, yeah. But this is, like, one of the biggest case ever, cases ever. And we just did not do it justice in the first episode. I mean, I we know. went back to, like, literally get research from our original research. We could barely take anything. There was nothing there. Because there was nothing there, A. The things that were there were, like, just, like, so brief or, like, just Vague. inaccurate. Yeah. It was just bad. And it was, like... Our first episode was like an hour and fifteen minutes. Yeah, we had to actually record it twice because um, we like the f- the original recording was had bad audio quality, and then Izzy broke a bowl on her hand, and we thought she was gonna have to go to the hospital. And then yeah, it was a mess. We had to re-record. Um, yeah, so the first episode was just a lot, and honestly, we just really we've really grown since then. I really mm-hmm. wanted to kind of revisit this case to redeem ourselves because it's such a big case, and I'm still seeing people listen. Like, I've there are so many fucking listens on that first episode, and it's, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Like when I see that somebody listened to that episode, like or like ten people listened to it last Tuesday. Oh God, I'm like, why? It's why? fucking humiliating. Like, okay, we understand that you guys want to start from the beginning. But don't do that. Hmm. Listen to our most recent episodes. If you're convinced you like us, then go back to the beginning. But not the other way around, because then you'll just never listen to us again. 
Yeah. Um, so we really needed to go back and fix that because we've grown a lot as a podcast, mm-hmm. I think, and as people. And yeah. we just really wanted to revisit this case because I think, and actually this case in particular means a lot to me. It was a really big getting into the podcast, getting into the true exactly. community. I actually wrote a whole fucking college essay on the John Binet case. She did. Um, shout out to George State Honors and Sarah Lawrence because you will get to read those essays. Um, whoop, whoop. I will not be getting into those colleges. <laughs> well, I'll probably. Okay. Georgia State was for the honors program. That was a little. That was a little risque of me to risque. write about the murder of a child for my honors essay. But it, <laughs> it was unique. It was unique, but I'll I'll stand out. Maybe I'll write uh, like an essay about our podcast for some college. That was my whole comment app essay. I know. I'm I like read well, it. It was I'm good. relying on it for college. Um, yeah. Anyway, so we're just I'm we're still fascinated by this case, and you know I assume that everybody is because how could you how could you not how could you not be? Um, so we're just gonna kind of revisit. Mm-hmm. We're gonna start off how we're gonna do a part one. So this one will be background and timeline pretty extensively, mm-hmm. and then we will do another episode that I think we're gonna have come out next week because we're not yeah. assholes. We won't make you wait two weeks. Um, and we'll have another episode come out with all of our suspects and theories. Yeah. So we're excited. Yeah. Okay. Also, sorry for a little choppy because it's been a real long time since we recorded. We're we're doing okay right now, though. Yeah, we are. We haven't really fucked it up yet. No. Good for us. Good for us. A little pat on the back there. I just patted myself on the back. She did. so fucking embarrassing. Okay. You know, it's fine. They can't see us. They can't, but I just decided to share it. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. Okay, ducky. Let's get started. Um, John Benet Patricia Ramsey was born on August 6, 1990 in Atlanta, Georgia. Izzy, you were also born in Atlanta, Georgia. And you were as well. I wasn't. Oh. We've talked about we this. We have talked about this very many you times. You know I wasn't born here. If I was born here, I would have said, oh, I was born in Atlanta. Yeah. Well, I was born in Atlanta. That's cool. Jillian, you were born in Florida. Florida. Anyway. Florida. People tell me that's a red flag all the time. Anyways, moving <laughs> on. Okay. Um, she moved to Boulder, Colorado when she was a baby. Her parents were John Bennett Ramsey and Patsy Ramsey. John was the president and CEO of Access Graphics, which was a computer company, which is interesting because it was the 90s. I'm just curious what, like, you were doing at a computer. Like, what did, what did computers look like in the 90s? Big blocks of plastic. Anyway, he was pretty important at, you know, administering the big, big blocks of plastic. Yeah. Um, and his job made the family actually pretty wealthy, I guess, because it was, like, you know, up-and-coming technology kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And they lived in a pretty fancy house in, like, a pretty wealthy neighborhood in Boulder. Mm-hmm. John was previously married to a woman named Lucinda, and the two had three kids together. They had um, John Monet's older sibling or older half siblings, John, Melinda, and Elizabeth. Sadly, Elizabeth actually passed away in a car crash in 1992. <sighs> um, John married Patsy in 1980, and the couple had two kids, Burke and John Bonet. Burke was nine at the time of John Bonet's murder, and John Bonet was six. Um, Patsy Ramsey was a former beauty pageant queen in. 1977, she won the title of Miss West Virginia, and she came from a family of pageant winners, so her sister Ellen actually won the same title in 1980. No, that's a red flag. Uh, being from a family of pageant winners? pageant winners, yeah. In West Virginia. In West Virginia. Um, Patsy also began entering John Bonet in these pageants from a young age, I assume, to, you know, keep on the family legacy. Mm-hmm. By the time she was six years old, John Bonet had won the titles of America's Royal Miss, Little Miss Charlevoix, okay. um, Little Miss Colorado, Colorado State All-Star Kids Cover Girl, and National Tiny Miss Beauty. 
Wow. Very accomplished. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going into detail on the, her family just because the family dynamics are obviously a very large hyperfixation in this case. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of reporting about dangerous, like, pageant mom behavior coming from Patsy. Family members actually said Patsy lightened JonBenet's hair from light brown to platinum God. blonde. Have you ever seen Toddlers and Tiaras? I have not, actually. Okay, this is what this reminds me of, because I used to be addicted to that show when I was, like, younger. I don't know why. I was just fascinated by, like, pageantry. Huh. Weirdly, but it's, like, kind of disturbing to watch. And this is what, it's, like, very reminiscent of this case. The hair dyeing thing makes me think of Jojo Siwa. <laughs> God. what happened? Her mom used to bleach her hair, and now yeah. she has, like, weird, like, hairline or something. Exactly. And another thing, like... In these pageants, like, women, like, they would put these things called flappers or flippers on, like, the little girl's teeth, which is basically, like, if you know what veneers are, they put, it's like fake teeth on top of your teeth to make your teeth look really white and really straight. Mm. And the flipper, flapper, I don't even know what it's called. Is it to cover up, like, when they lose teeth? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard of those. And they're, like, white and they look like fake teeth, but it's just, like, why are you putting that on a child? I don't know. Yeah, well, that gets into a whole bunch of other stuff about pageants, because, like, it's one thing, like, I'm not really a fan of pageantry, but, like, I can mm-hmm. understand if it's, like, competing, like, oh, my God, the kids are cute, you know? Yeah. But there's a lot of things they do to make them more adult. Which is, like, makeup, hair dye, self, like, tanning. Teeth. Teeth. The whole thing about, like, little kids not having, like, having gaps in their teeth is fucking adorable, you know? Yeah. Like, having them have, like, trying to make, anyway. I won't voice, well, I'm not here to talk about pageantry. I'm here to talk about JonBenet Ramsey. So... We'll cut it off there, I guess. Yeah. Um, anyway, there's a lot more about pageant mom behavior that I think is important to share. The majority of JonBenet's photos are actually of her in full makeup and wearing adult-type costumes, kind of like what I was just saying. And this is a disclaimer because I, like, totally forgot where I heard this, but I'm, like, pretty sure it's legit, but, like, you know, disclaimer anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, there is the story of one of JonBenet, from one of JonBenet's friends. She, like, went over to her house, and she complimented all of JonBenet's trophies because they were, like, you know, on display in the house. Yeah. And JonBenet was like, oh, those are my mom's. But they were, like, they were JonBenet's trophies. <sighs> Isn't that kind of horrifying? That's kind of horrifying, and it's just, like, it's sad. Like, it she's is, it six. It is really sad. And the she's fact that you can acknowledge that your mom is, like, you're doing it because your mom wants you to at that young of an age is, like, whew. Is, oh, That's my God. noted. Yeah, that is noted. And I think it's important to recognize that. Um, <laughs> wait, what did you say? Did you say? I said it was loaded. Oh, I said it was noted. Oh, no. I said it was loaded. Loaded. Like, oh. loaded. Yeah, noted. <laughs> I know. I was like, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I think it should be noted. Yeah, it should be noted because it's a very loaded problem. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I mean, guys. We're a little off. Yeah, we're sorry about this. Um, it's been a long day. It's been a really long day. Um, okay, so while JonBenet did not live with her older half-sibling, she was raised alongside her brother, Burke, who was nine at the time of her murder. There is, like, very little information about him because he was kind of shielded from the media as a child, and he's, like, a total recluse now. Like, he just hides away. Yeah. Um, so there's just not a lot about him. Um, some neighbors and family members claim Burke could be very, um, angered very easily mm-hmm. and was very jealous of the attention JonBenet received because of her pageantry, which we'll get into a little bit more later. 
But um, that's, you know, they were kind of raised together. She didn't really, I don't think she really knew her half-siblings too well just because she wasn't raised at the same time of them. And she was also so little, too. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, and then just a little bit more about JonBenet because this is something I really, that really made me mad when I was looking back at our old episode. We did not talk enough about her as a person. And, like, I understand that she was fucking six years old and there wasn't a lot to her because she was only six years old and she was only able to be on the planet for six years. However... I'm, like, getting angry at, like, things I did. Yeah, no, it's really, like, came um, at us. Like, I, it makes me mad that I didn't address her more as a person, and I more addressed, like, basic facts, and I don't know. I just... Yeah. And that's, that's a mistake that you learn to... Yeah, exactly. Face, as we, we've gotten more into podcasting, you just, you, you grow, you realize your mistakes, and you have to go back, and that's why we're redeeming ourselves with this case. Exactly. Um, okay, so just a little bit about JonBenet. She was described as being very extroverted and kind. She was smart. She really liked to read. Um, she liked to draw and play with her dog, whose name was Jock. Like, like, um, isn't the one the mice in Cinderella? I don't know. Uh, hold on. I didn't, on. I didn't watch Cinderella. Dude, I watched Cinderella so much that I broke the disc, like oh, the God. DVD. It was so scratched up and we had to buy a new one. I think that happened in my Over the Hedge scene. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just Googled the name. You just, I, I Jacques Cousteau. Nice Cinderella. Isn't that that dude from that Ratatouille? show nailed it? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, so this is Jacques the Mouse from Cinderella. Wait, Jacques Cousteau. Did you never watch that show nailed it? I did, but I thought it was the guy from Ratatouille. Jacques Cousteau. Well, that is that not... Is, no, he's an oceanographer. Oh! No, wait! Jacques Cousteau was in that... You know that episode of Friends with the Thanksgiving episode and Phoebe's like, I had a, a sex dream about Jacques Cousteau? <laughs> that's who that guy is! I have no idea who he was. I just... That's the only reason I know the name. I literally thought... Okay, I thought Jacques Cousteau was the guy from Ratatouille and then we thought it was that guy from that show and turns out that's what it's from. Yeah. I knew I knew the name. Nice. He's an oceanographer. That, that really puts a whole different spin on that episode of Friends Down. Yeah. I just didn't know. I thought Jack Hostel was, like, some old-ass actor. Nope. Apparently not. Okay, good to know. Anyway, she liked to play with her dog, Jacques. Her dog, Jacques. He was, like, one of those little white, crusty dogs. <laughs> I looked him up. Oh, poor Jacques. Yeah. Um, I, I, it actually kind of made me sad. I have no idea what happened to that dog after she passed away. Um, her favorite color was pink. And this is my favorite. She used to look for fairies <gasps> in her backyard. Yeah, I literally used to do that. I would, like, gaslight Jillian into being like, there are fairies in my house. We have to go through the painting. Izzy told me she had fairies that lived in her house. We literally used to spend our playdates. We'd go into her parents' room, jump off their bed, because we needed to practice being able to launch ourselves into the painting where the fairies lived. Yeah, I mean, I loved Coraline as a so kid. So for an hour and a half after school, after eating some Oreos, we just jumped on and off her bed, her parents' bed. Yeah. For, for, like, a And we long also made time. fairy houses together that one time at the garden. Oh, my God, we did. Wait, Izzy was real into fairies. I was. I think, still am. Oh, my God, wait, because now we're going to be fairies for Halloween. <gasps> That's so cute! That oh, is my God, really cute. I have to get my costume. You do need to get your costume. I really need to get on that. Yeah, on so that's just a little bit about JonBenet. We wanted you guys to know about her, and at least more about her. I feel like she's not really talked about in the media as, like, a little girl and as a person. Yeah, well, because they were pretty stuck on her whole murder thing. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to get into the timeline. This is a thick one, y'all. Okay? A thick timeline. So December 26th of 1996, in the early morning hours, Patsy and John had actually planned to wake up early in order to prepare for a trip that they were going on for the holidays. Patsy woke earlier than John, and when she went downstairs to get ready for the day, she discovered that there was a stack of papers on the stairwell. This is what always gets me. Why was it on the stairwell? 
Anyways, there was yeah. a stack of papers on the stairwell. And this stack of papers was three pages, and they were a, it was a handwritten ransom note, which had been left for the family to find. So this ransom note is what initially indicated to Patsy that her beloved daughter was missing. The handwritten ransom note was immediately of interest to the investigators in the case and also the media, and it's something that's like widely disputed now. And this is because it included specific details, which were weird, and we'll get more into those when we talk about suspects and theories in the next episode. But most notably, the letter itself was two and a half pages long, which is long as hell for a ransom note. Yeah. They're usually, like, max one page. Well, because the biggest thing about a ransom note is you're trying to get out of there, like, as fast as possible. Yeah. So you're not sitting down writing, like, a fucking essay. Exactly. And Two it's and a half pages would take two and a really half pages. long time to write. Yeah. I wrote something in psychology today that was, like, one page, not even, like, it was, like... Front and back, yeah. kind of. Yeah, um, it took me it took me 30 minutes to write that. No, same. And it was just like, two and a half pages is so long, and it was handwritten, and they, they know that there were multiple drafts of it, because they found it in the trash. Yeah, so you... Which it's, is... It's weird to begin with, because you're weird. not trying to spend that much time in a place when you're trying to kidnap a little girl. Exactly, and if this was premeditated, they would have done it before. Yeah, exactly. You're not sitting there drafting. No. So, they in the letter, they demanded 118 thousand dollars and that they would call the ramses by the next day between 8 a.m and 10 a.m in the morning for more information you know that's actually not a lot of money for a ransom note yeah it's usually like upwards of five hundred thousand, right yeah you i mean usually people are trying to get all they can especially when they know the family's wealthy i mean they probably I, I don't know the details of how much their house costs but i imagine if it's in a wealthy part of boulder and it's like pretty fucking nice it's probably a million dollars at least you yeah know? like if you know that's how much their house be costing and you got their little like girl you'd think that you'd be like ransoming a lot exactly more money. and okay also this number is very specific we'll also talk about that in next week episode but basically, it's just, like, a very specific number, and it's not that much, so it's interesting. Um, they specified in the letter that John Bonet would be executed if they did not follow the instructions that were, like, talked about in the letter. And basically, they just outlined the basic things, like, don't tell anyone that we, like, this is happening if you do, like, all this stuff. They were, like, random and weird details, too. It was, like... At one point, it was, like, don't tell a stray dog or we will kill her. <laughs> like, random stuff. And finally, the letter was signed by the SBTC with the exclamation victory exclamation point before the sign off. Hmm. Weird. Just really weird. Like, what? I don't know. So, yeah, this is just suspicious and weird. And it's kind of in a, like, a total indication of what's going on with the suspects and theories in my mind. I don't know. Um, the ransom note specifically contained information that, like, they should not call the police or family and friends. But the first thing that Patsy did was call the police at 5.52 a.m., well, which makes sense. You're supposed to do that. You said that like you weren't supposed to do no, that. No, but wait. And she followed that up by calling over all of her friends and family and invited them over. You see, that is where I have a problem. However, she definitely should have called the cops. Yeah, I get the cops, but... That I mean, makes no sense. I can understand maybe calling, like, a couple of close people just to see, like, hey, have you heard from John Bonet? Yeah, but she, but in, like, like invited them, them all over. over is a little weird. And also, you're drawing so much attention. Like, that means that people, like, cars are going to be outside of your friends. Like, yeah, that's, you know what that's I mean? actually true. When you have people threatening you, you don't want to draw that much. Yeah, yeah. you're right. You're right. 
Um, so the police arrived at the Ramsey household by 5.55 a.m., so they only took them a few minutes. And they did a cursory search of the house and concluded that there had been no forced entry. And one of the initial police officers named Rick French actually went down into the basement and saw that a door was closed and secured by a wooden latch. And he said that, like, he paused for a moment before he made a decision, and he decided not to go in because this. he basically said that they were looking for an entry point for, like, a perp, and a closed door showed him that it would not be possible for them to come through that way. That's which makes so no sense. Dumb. Like, if there was a window in that room, they could have, and that door could have been open. Like, he doesn't know. It could have been open, and they could have closed it. I just, I feel like if you're a cop, you just, you you smart. You, you're making smart decisions, and you that just know how to smart. look. Well, this is this is actually what I wrote my little my little essay on. Was the whole problem was the fact that it was because it was Christmas. Mm-hmm. The police officers that were there were like their B team, basically. Yeah, because all the A team people were like you know Gone. enjoying their Christmas. Yeah, and once the police arrived, John Ramsey like quickly began making arrangements to pay for the ransom. And in the note, they even specified, like, really specific ways that they wanted it to be delivered. Like, they wanted part of it in cash, part of it in banknotes. Like, it was weird. What's a banknote? Like a check, like a um. cashier's check, I think. And this just, I don't know. It just, I don't know. And you keep the, saying that. I know. This whole case just frustrates me. Um, so the forensics team and the def- detectives eventually came to the house. And the only room that they decided to block off was John Benet's. Well, okay. It does make sense prior to finding her body because they would assume that she was kidnapped from her room. And not, yeah. They they didn't think, there was no reason to think she was still in the house because they did receive a ransom note. It, like, makes sense. Exactly. But, yeah, it's just, like, it's, I don't know. It's so frustrating now. Um, I just feel like they should have gotten everyone out of the house just to be on the safe side. Yeah, and separated John and Patsy so they could have talked to them. Exactly. Like, that's a big thing for me. And at this point, like, the entire house was contaminated and all of the evidence was essentially destroyed because there were her friends and the detectives, like, every and them walking through the house. And all of Patsy's invitees actually began to arrive and they started, like, literally cleaning the house, like, to help out. They were literally, like, wiping down countertops and putting away dishes. I think that's the funniest fucking thing in this whole case. Obviously, there's not a lot of funny shit to this case because, you know, it's a murder of a kid, but, like... What the fuck? They showed up and they started cleaning the house? Like, what? Girl, what? I'm sorry, but what? And, like, literally at the house were Patsy's friends, their families, victim advocates, and the Ramsey's family minister. (sighs) Just, yeah. Um, So, the main detective on the case, Linda Arndt, Arndt? Aren't aren't arrived at about eight a.m. and this was mainly in anticipation of receiving further instructions by the kidnapper slash kidnappers, but there was never an attempt by anyone to claim the money. There was never a call a call made at any of the times that they specified. So yeah, and additionally during this time, like I said earlier, there was no initiative to separate John and Patsy in order to get untarnished statements. And we know how malleable memory is. So, like, imagine them talking to each other, talking to their yeah. friends. Like, you're not going to get a good, concise statement mm-hmm. from them. And also, like, another thing that's interesting is that Patsy and John were, like, not making an effort to, like, stay by the phone and ask questions about the, like, uh, if there was any 
but he calling about the ransom, like, I don't know. Okay. People Here's, take grief in different ways, but I it was interesting. I can't judge not sitting by the phone because this is going to sound a little weird, but are you, you know, you know when you're, like, awaiting someone to, like, text, like, something important, and you, like, put your phone on Do Not Disturb and, like, leave it, like, in the other yes. room and go, like, upstairs oh to my go God, get water yes. and then come back. To so wait that, and yeah. see if you got a response. Yeah, to see, like, while, if, while yeah. you're distracting yourself, like, someone, Yeah. Because that's what I would imagine I would be doing in that situation. Honestly, I didn't even think about that. Because that's, like, if I'm awaiting, like, a response that I'm kind of, like, worried about, I put my phone on Do Not Disturb and leave. Yeah. Hmm. I never thought about that. That's how I needed to, like, conceptualize it. Because I can't judge that because I feel like in that situation I'd be, like... I would do the same thing. It's like like a watch pot never boils. Like, a watched phone's never going to ring, you know? Exactly. Okay. So I can't judge. Yeah. And another thing that's kind of irritating is that throughout the day, the police were consistently sharing information and evidence that they were finding with the Ramses, which is, like, that's, fine. That's kind of a little weird. But it's, like, a little bit weird. It's a little weird. Especially in an investigation where you have a kidnapped kid. Yeah. You, like, don't know what happened. And, and also, like, the, the majority of times, it's, like, you know, the parents. A family member? Yeah. I just, I don't know why you're sharing evidence, buddy. Yeah, I don't know. Just a little bit interesting. And by the afternoon, at about 1 p.m., the detectives on the case instructed John Ramsey, along with a family friend, to go around the house and see if they would find anything that was out of sorts. So basically, just see if anything has been taken, anything is different than you remember. But that wouldn't, I mean, at this point, that's not going to do anything because their family friends already cleaned everything. I don't well, know. Well, I mean, if they were looking for, like, miss, like if someone stole, Missing things. Like, but, like, how are you going to know? How are you going to, like, I mean, I would, like, if someone came into my room after, like, someone had gone missing or whatever and was like tell me what's wrong and what's missing i could not tell you i mean you'd look for valuables probably okay true so the john and his friend decided to start from the bottom up so they began their search in the basement upon going into the basement the men opened the door that the original detective uh failed to open and while standing in the open doorway, the light was off, and John actually said that he could, like, saw that there was a blanket on the floor, but the man he was with said he couldn't see anything in the darkness from the doorway. Yeah, I've heard that. It's very weirdly disputed. So it's like... Either that's sketchy, or you could attribute, like, you could, you know how you can just, you know where things are better in your own house? Yeah. Like, I, I don't want to judge too hard, because, like, I feel like, you know, I could probably see things in the darkness in my own house better than you could. Yeah. But, I mean, it's just, like, it's not something that would normally be in his house. It's like a blanket. No, I know. But, like, you but might notice. But it's a notice. mess. Like, you would notice it probably if you, Yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to give everyone the benefit Devil's of advocate. the doubt. I get it. Um, so, once on, they turned on the light, they saw the body of John Bonet and realized that she had actually been there the entire day. Um, she was on she was on the floor laying motionless and she was covered with a white blanket she had duct tape around her mouth and her wrists were bound with a thin nylon rope from first glance i saw that she had a rope around her neck but it was later determined that she had actually been strangled with a handmade garrote which is like this strangulation tool which basically like i don't know how to explain it you like wrap the cord around your neck and use like a tool for leverage so like in this case, it was a paintbrush, but yeah, just... And it was all belongings that were already in the house. Yeah, except for the, like, they also found a, a different rope in the house that the Ramsey said wasn't theirs, but yeah. Yeah. Weird. Whatever. Um, so immediately after the discovery of John Bonet, John rushed to her side and picked up her small body and took her upstairs. 
this further contaminated the crime scene and the evidence that was there, but he's, like, a grieving father, like... I totally understand. Okay, actually, this is where I'll dispute because I don't fucking understand. I've tried. I've tried to be like, you know, I, you know, that was like his baby, whatever. It's a fucking murdered child. Don't touch the murdered child. Yeah, but like if you were like, I don't know. I think it's common sense that you don't touch a crime scene. Yeah, but if you're like in a moment, like imagine if you found me dead in the basement. I wouldn't touch you. Okay, let's I'm gonna be a judgy anymore. bitch on this one because I I would think I, I think everyone knows that they're not supposed to touch crime scenes. I don't care. And the police have probably been like telling him that yeah. all day. True, too. I'm just saying. I don't know. I can understand that he was upset. Yeah. However, just go upstairs. Yeah. No, okay. This is the part that I don't agree with. When John he brought her body upstairs and he took her into the living room where all the people were and sat her body near the Christmas tree. I just. Like, I, I, I feel bad. I really do. I do. I just... Like, this is baby. Why did, why did you have to pick her up and contaminate the crime scene? That does not make any sense. Yeah. Um, so, now we're going to get into the autopsy a little bit. So, starting off, her body had severe rigor mortis, which indicates she had been dead since the morning and probably the entire time that they were in the house. She was just in the basement. Um, she had a blunt force wound on her skull, and this fractured her skull and was ultimately the cause of her death. It most likely knocked her out when it first happened, and it was, they said that the indentation was like, do you remember what shape it was? It was like a specific shape. Oh, I can't remember that. And, like we said earlier, she was strangled with a garrote, and this was actually made from one of Patsy's paintbrushes. And this is one of the most painful ways to be strangled, and it caused deep skin lacerations and indentations in her neck, and it was done just so, so, it's just like... It was overkill, I'm pretty, it was I'm overkill. pretty sure, the way in which, because she had already, the blunt force trauma had already killed her, so whatever yeah. happened with her strangulation um, was... Overkill. Overkill. Especially on a six-year-old girl. Um, she also had a slight laceration on her vagina, which was potentially caused by sexual abuse. They've never really discussed, like, how that happened, and it could not be determined to be recent or repeated during life. It was just kind of, it's like floating in the air. They don't really know what happened. Um, with that, she... Sorry, pause. I needed to fact check something. Okay, what is it? <laughs> Sorry. The girl actually was not overkill. She died... Um, from in combination with the fractured skull, it mm-hmm. was um caused cranial brand brain da- like cranial bleeding. cranial damage, and um in combination with asphyxiation due to strangulation. So probably the head wound knocked her out, and then they and then she killed died her from further. asphyxiation. Yeah. Sorry, I need to correct that because I like this. This is the part where we took it from our old episode, and I would like I, yeah yeah. Okay, yeah, it was not overkill. I was just riffing a little too much there. <laughs> so she had wounds on her back, and there were a few of them that could have been from a stun gun. They were, like, little patterns. It was, like, two little holes that almost, what would you do? Like, they look like a snake bite on it, almost. Yeah. And they were on her back and on her neck as well. And they think it could have been from, like, a stun gun or a cattle prod, which is just horrible to think about it's really scary honestly because i feel like that's not talked about enough the fact no. that there was a stun gun or something of that nature used because it's not like you're going to attribute that to anything else no and it wasn't like being shot with a stun gun it was like an up close one that you like 
use with your, like, I don't know. Even so, nobody talks about it enough, and there's no attempt to find wherever the fuck the stun gun was. Yeah, nobody does talk about it. Nobody talks about it, and I feel like it's a really big deal. Like, it almost, like, when we get into suspects and theories, I, I could talk about it a little bit more. But, you know, obviously there's two big things in this case. There's the family and the intruder theory. Mm-hmm. I feel like the whole stun gun thing fucking, like, eliminates the family, because otherwise you'd probably have found that in your their house. You would have found it in their house, or would, there would have been, like, evidence of them using it prior. Yeah, You know exactly. what I mean? Or, like, someone would know that they have a stun gun. You don't just have a stun gun, like, laying around that nobody knows about. You use it and then, like, are able to get rid of it, even when you can't cover up some other random stuff. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, just got a little opinion there. And then also in her autopsy, they obviously went over stomach contents, and they found in her stomach pineapples and milk, which, throwback to our first episode. Throwback. uh, Called Pineapples and Milk. Um, This gets disputed a lot because nobody actually claims to have fed her this. Which I think is so funny, because, like, why would you argue that? Yeah, why would you say you didn't? Of all the things in the case, like, if you fed her pineapples and milk, just say you fed her pineapples and milk, someone did. Yeah, and there was also a bowl and glass in the kitchen, and the bowl had pineapples and milk in it. Yeah. So what? Like, why? Why? Why argue? Why argue that? Like, of all the things. Yeah, um, the bowl itself had Patsy's fingerprints on it, and the glass had both of the kids' fingerprints on it. I will say, though, fingerprints can stay around. Well, yeah, so the thing... Here, that's what I always think. Obviously, someone recently touched it because it was on the table. Yeah. However, let's say we don't want to incriminate Patsy. Like, she probably unloads the dishwasher. She's a She's older. Yeah, and she's like... The kids kids aren't probably unloading the dishwasher. She's probably unloading the dishwasher. And so that's probably why her fingerprints would have been on it. Even if if she touched it at a later time, they would have definitely been on it. Yeah. Let's say unloading the dishwasher. And then, like, the kids, like... Kids sick t- I mean, that's what yeah. the kids... Saw. One of those kids were eating it, so... Well, we know that John Bonet was eating Obviously. it. Um, we don't know about Burke, though. Anyways. So, also, during this whole time, I'm just gonna leave you with this. Burke was asleep in his room and didn't get up. So they say. So they say. Okay. Okay. Anyway, so tune in. I th- What are we... Okay, let's, re- let's remember some dates real quick. I think this is coming out on the 27th? What's today? The 25th? 27th or 28th? What's today? I don't know. Today's the 25th. So the 27th is when this episode's coming out. Yes. So then a week from the 27th, what is 27? Oh, no. It starts a new month. The math. My math. Oh, no. Next no. Tuesday is November 1st. November 3rd. <gasps> That's my half birthday. Oh, my God. Okay. Stay tuned because November 3rd, you are getting another new episode with all of our suspects and theories. Whoop, whoop. So, yeah. Tune in then. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram at TGIC. Top. <laughs> follow us on Instagram at TGIC.podcast. Bye. Bye.